David just slaughtered a bunch of Amalekites. But here's an Amalekite just wandering around where this battle took place. And so he says, I was on Mount Gilboa. There was Saul, verse 6, leaning on his spear. And indeed, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. So he, he may have seen some of the battle. Might have been a treasure hunter. You know, and think about it. These guys are fighting. People are dying. And once everybody leaves and departs, there's probably some cool stuff to pick up. Good weapons, nice shields, shoes clothes, hats. I don't know what he was gathering. Maybe. Could have been. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. This verse comes to life during our text today in 2 Samuel, as Saul is killed by an Amalekite that God commanded him to destroy earlier on. Today, Pastor Mark will be exhorting us to take God's commands seriously, and when we play around with sin, it will eventually be our undoing. The Amalekites are a picture of our flesh nature that God commands us to completely destroy. Saul didn't obey God in destroying all the Amalekites, and he let the king survive. If Saul had completely obeyed the Lord, he would have never had died at the hands of an Amalekite. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 1 with today's edition of Come Alive. And so it comes to pass after the death of Saul when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites and David had stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell on the ground and prostrated himself. So this guy comes running in, kind of dirty looking. Um, One of the things you would do in this time of mourning in these days is if you were in mourning or sad, you would kind of throw dust on yourself. You'd tear your clothes. It was a sign of mourning. It was an outward appearance, something that was taking place inward. And this guy must have ran or walked or a combination of both for three days, a three-day journey from the battlefield to Ziklag. And so this would mean that David was uh, fighting the Amalekites at the same time that Saul was fighting the Philistines. We see that. And look at verse 3. It says, And David said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Now, if you take notes, circle that word or underline that word, escaped, just for right now. We're not going to go too deep into it right this second. Verse 4 says, And David said to him, How did the matter go? And so now David's probably, he's probably looking at this guy and he's, you know, sometimes you ask questions when you know the answer to them, but you just, just to be sure, just to know. So he sees this guy, he's all torn up, all messed up and tired, and he probably knows the answer to it. He says, how'd the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, the people fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead and Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. Saul and Jonathan are dead also. So David knew this was bad news. So he immediately reacted with humility and mourning. He knew it was bad news because the messenger had the traditional expression of mourning for the dead. So David wants to know how this man got his information. And and that's what we all should do. You know, we hear rumors and stuff. And and a lot of times people will come up and say, hey, did you hear this? And did you hear about this? And I'm like, well, where'd you get your information from? 
And sometimes, you know, like for the internet, you can always um, try truthorfiction.com. That's a pretty good one when you get those little email stories that, hey, so-and-so, you know, this happened to them. Send it to 10 people. And you send it out to 10 people, just chain email thing that goes on. And, and you're like, man, that's weird that that would happen, you know, that some guy would leave his dog tied to his bumper and drive down the road. And you feel sorry, and you know, they're asking for money or whatever. And then you kind of type it up and say, is this true? You know, truthorfiction.com. And they pretty much, if they don't know, they say they don't know. They don't make up anything. So it's unverified sometimes is what they'll say. Other times they'll be like, oh, that's fiction. So, you know, check it out. Don't just listen to rumors or listen to what people say. Sometimes, you know, they're, they're good intention. They want to pass on information from a, a trusted source, but that trusted source may have gotten it wrong. And so a lot of times that's what I do. I'll hear something and I'll start to ask questions. I want to ask, and the reason I do that a lot of times, and now some of you probably will never answer another question from me that I ask you, so I'm not going to tell you anymore. Anyway, verse five. <laughs> I'm kidding. So no, I, get, I try to get more information so I can understand. You know, you might say, hey, you know, this happened. I'm like, well, where did it happen? Well, why does it matter? Well, it might matter. It might not. It might not. There, there's some silly questions out there, but, you know, I, I have to ask. And so, if I ask those questions, like sometimes my kids will say something. You know, the other day Asa was saying something. He's like, Dad, I did this. And I'm like, you didn't do this because he tends to like to joke around a lot. And I don't know where he gets it from. His mom's always doing that. And I, I never know when anyone in my house is serious. So anyway, he's like, and, and so I thought he was joking with me. And I'm like, well, you can't prove it. And he was like, yeah, I can. I can prove it. He had the proof. But I, I was too lazy to get up and check it out. I just decided to doubt him. You know, and so Elliot goes and checks for me, and she's like, it's, it's for real, Dad. He did. I'm like, oh, okay. And he goes, come on, Dad, come take a look. I'm like, no, I believe you. And he's just looking at me like, oh, wait a minute. That ain't cool. You believed her, but you didn't believe me when I told you. And, and at one point when I tested him, I said, look me in the eye. I said, here, look, this app on my phone will tell me if you're lying, and it goes straight to God. And when he knows you're lying, and he looks me right in the eyes, he goes, I did it, Dad. And I was all like, okay, I knew he was for real. And he goes, well, let me see the app. I'm like, I really don't have one, so just joking. So, so verse five, so David said to the young man who told him, how do you know? Here's some, the inquiry minds want to know. David says, how do you know? How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son are dead? And then the young man who told him said, as I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa. Now this is kind of weird stuff. He's an Amalekite. Uh, The Israelites and the Philistines are fighting and there's an Amalekite. Anybody find that kind of odd, kind of weird? David just slaughtered a bunch of Amalekites. But here's an Amalekite just wandering around where this battle took place. And so he says, I was on Mount Gilboa. There was Saul, verse 6, leaning on his spear. And indeed, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. So he, he may have seen some of the battle. Might have been a treasure hunter. You know, and think about it. These guys are fighting. People are dying. And once everybody leaves and departs, there's probably some cool stuff to pick up. Good weapons, nice shields, shoes clothes, hats. I don't know what he was gathering. Maybe. Could have been. And verse 7 says, now when he looked behind him, he said, he saw me. Speaking of Saul, seeing the Amalekite, he called to me and I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? So I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. So he tells the truth. He said to me again, please stand over me and kill me for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. And so the Amalekite says, I stood over him and I killed him, David. I I killed him. and, And these are the things I brought back to you. These are the things I brought back to you. Now, a little history in this section. 25 years earlier, Saul was supposed to do something that was commanded by God. He was supposed to kill all the Amalekites, wipe them all out. 
God had said to Saul to kill every Amalekite. Why? And we sometimes in the Bible, you find these things and you're like, oh, it just sounds so cruel to wipe out all of them. What about the little kids, including the little kids? And including the animals, it says in the Bible. And you're like, oh, that couldn't be true. That's got to be a metaphor. Well, here's why. The Amalekites were a constant problem for Israel. And before some of you start thinking, well, if I have a problem, is it okay to kill it? Well, not physically, uh, not now. But here's what the Amalekites would do. They would attack the back of the pack where the older folks and the moms with babies and the sick and the feeble would walk. They would show no mercy to God's people at all. And so God doesn't want, you know, any shown to them. And again, you might think, well, this is horrible. Well, they did have an opportunity to repent. They had about 400 years to repent of their sins, and yet they didn't do it. And and as David had said, we had talked about on Wednesday night in a Bible study how in the scriptures, God would allow other people to be grafted in. It wasn't just, I mean, yeah, they're the children of Israel, they're the children of God, but we see people like Rahab being grafted in, people like Caleb fighting for the cause. And though they were kind of mean to Caleb, when you, when you kind of have to think about that, they were probably a little mean to Caleb. It doesn't really say in the Bible, but you'd have to think him being on the outside, they probably didn't allow him in the camp to, to sleep and be part of that because if you were an outsider, you, outsider, you stayed outside the camp. But they used him. God used him in a mighty way. And God blessed him in a mighty way. And so here these Amalekites had opportunity to repent. They don't do it. Amalekite actually means dweller in a valley. These were a wandering, wicked, nomadic people who lived in the desert in the south of Canaan. We get our information of that in, in 1 Samuel 15, verses 7 and 27, chapter, and verse 8. So chapter 27, verse 8, and chapter 15, verse 7. They were descendants of Esau. And we, we get that information from Genesis 36, verse 12. And so the Amalekites are an interesting parable or a picture, as we said last week, of the flesh, of the flesh. And a few things about the Amalekites in Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 18. If you're taking notes, you can go home and look that up. But a couple of things they do in, in those verses, we see that they attack the tired and the weak. And sometimes when we get fleshly, that's what happens to us. Our flesh comes when we are tired and weak. And so our fleshly nature attacks when we're tired and weak. There's no fear of God at that point. Or there might be like, oh, well, he'll, he'll understand. So there's really no respect for God. In Exodus 17, 11, when we let down our prayer time, remember Moses' hands were up in the air, and when his hands dropped, the Malachites began to win the battle. And so two people came, and they held up uh, Moses' hands. I think it was a guy named Her, or it could have been a girl. Anyway, I don't know. Her, and I forget the other person's name. And they hold up Moses' hands. And so when his hands go back up, when his arms are up and he's doing what he's supposed to do that God tells him to do, then the Israelites uh, begin to win. But when his hands were down, the flesh begins to prevail. When our prayer time is let down, when we stop praying, uh, there's a saying that if you, the more you pray, the less you sin. You'll sin less the more you pray because you're trying to communicate and trying to be in tune with God. So using this picture, we see Saul's failure to deal with Amalek, the Amalekites. And so when God told him, you know, it's going to end in ruin with an Amalekite, you know, he, that Saul was going to die, it never did Saul imagine that an Amalekite would deliver the death blow to him. In the same way, when we fail to deal with the flesh, as God prompts us to, we can expect that area of the flesh to come back and deliver some deadly strikes. 
I mean, think about it. If God says, hey, don't do that anymore. Don't play with that. Don't even go into that neighborhood and we're like, oh, I can do it. It's okay. All of a sudden, we get caught up. And we start walking further and further. And next thing you know, you're blowing it. And now you feel guilty. And Satan wants you to feel guilty. He's like, man, I don't want you to go back to church. I don't want you to go back to the word of God. I don't want you to even pray to God. Because if I can keep you, this is Satan speaking, not me. But if I can keep you from praying, I can keep you from communicating with the one who has all the power and all the answers and know what's right for your life. If I can keep you from doing that, well, you're going to be no good. You'll be no good at all. And so in the same way, when we fail to deal with the flesh, and when God prompts us to, we can expect that area of the flesh to come back and deliver some deadly strikes. Many of people have walked away from the Lord because of that. And some suggested that the Amalekites have fabricated uh, this, this guy here, made up this entire story, that it's a lie. And so early, because earlier we read in 1 Samuel 31, 3 through 6, the problem uh, um, there talks about Saul dying and his armor bearer sees that Saul dies is that, but the problem with thinking that this story is made up is that we're never told that. I've read a lot of commentaries the last couple of weeks on this story, trying to, trying to weigh out, where am I going to stand on this? And then I said, you know what? The Bible is the best commentary, and the Bible never tells me that it's made up. And so I searched, I went forward, and I looked to see what David would say about it, and, and see, and we never see that it says that it's a made up story. For example, there will be a story later on about a prophet who was sent on a mission to give a message and return home immediately. But when word got out about this prophet, another prophet wanted a chance to talk to him. In 1 Kings thirteen eighteen, you find it, and it says, He said to him, I'm a prophet, also like you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to the house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him, is what it says at the end. So it tells us that this, this was a lie. And I think sometimes that, you know, where the Bible, it doesn't say that it's made up. It doesn't say that it isn't. But here it's like, seems like it, it, it's, a, it's a viable story. Why, why would this guy say this stuff? And then some of the commentators, some of the smart guys say, well, it's because he wanted something from David. But David realizes that anyway and says, yeah, he, I, I realize it. And we see that later on and that he wants something. So we're told that he lied. But here in Second Samuel, we're not told that. Look at verse 10. So I stooped over him and I killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was in his head, that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm. And I've brought them here to my Lord. So here again, I took the crown is what this guy says. I took it. This, this man seems to think David would want to hear this news about Saul because remember, Saul was trying to kill David. If somebody was trying to kill you and somebody says, Hey, bro, it's cool. They're dead. You might be like, woohoo. No more problems. I don't have to run and hide. I don't have to live in a cave anymore. But yet, it's bad news to David. It's bad news. So this guy's probably thinking that David's going to be elated. He's going to just be like stoked and happy to hear the news. And that David would want to have this crown and bracelet belonging to Saul because, remember, he'd been anointed king. And this is the crown and the king bracelet. It would fit on your upper arm. And so this is how David will remember it later. 2 Samuel 4.10, if you want to turn there, you may. It's just a few chapters over. 2 Samuel 4, verse 10 tells us the story, how David remembers it. It says, and when someone told me, saying, look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. So this guy kind of had some weird intentions, thinking he was going to get some money for the bad news. 
David tells us that. This is how we back up that we know that David wasn't happy about it. Uh, This is how we find out that this guy was kind of a a swindler, so to speak, because he was wanting some money to deliver the bad news. And so when he says, when one told me, speaking of the Amalekite, he says, you know, he wanted rewards for what he brought. So dealing with the flesh, Saul had been commanded by God to wipe out these Amalekites. First, in 1 Samuel 15, 2 through 3, God says, I remember that which Amalek had done to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt, speaking of Israel. Now go and kill Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Destroy all that they have. Leave nothing. And so though Saul did kill a lot of Amalekites, and you might think, well, he did a pretty good job. He killed most of them. But he didn't do what God had commanded. He didn't completely wipe them out. And sometimes for us as Christians, we see these things in the Bible. We know right from wrong. And we're like, well, we didn't completely do that. I didn't get blackout drunk. I was still able to drive home, though it was on the sidewalks. But it was easier to get there that way. It's like, no, that's not cool. It's either all or nothing is what God is saying. It's all or nothing. I want all of you or nothing. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. Not 80% for me or 95% for me. And for us, some of us think, well, that's okay. That's cool. But it's not. Uh, What if your spouse was 80% for you and 20% of the time with somebody else? That'd be cool? No. Only a few heads are shaking. Hopefully it's not. Everybody? No. Not cool. I don't even want my wife thinking about other guys. You know, sometimes I'm like, man, I should, you know, get injections so I could have bigger muscles and work because I'm too lazy to work out. So it'd be easier for me to have an operation. But, uh, you know, but I don't want her at at the swimming pool checking dudes out. And I know some good looking guy is going to walk by her and she can't help but look at him. But I don't want her being like, hmm, because if she at that moment would turn to me and go, why can't you look like that? (laughs) It'd be like, let's go. We're out of here. We're going to a pool where... Well, where there's a lot of mud and alligators where I don't have to compete with anything. But she wouldn't do that. I wouldn't want her to do that, and she wouldn't want me to do that. But, yeah, we seem to think it's okay when we say, oh, yeah, Lord, I love you, and we sing praise songs to him. We say these words with our lips, but with our hearts and our minds, it's different. You can fool me, and that's okay, because I have no bearing on your eternal security. That's fine. Fool me all you want. Look good in front of me. But God knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. And so here, Saul didn't do what God had commanded. He didn't completely wipe them out. Sometimes we don't completely wipe out the flesh, and we should. Getting rid of most is not a complete ridding. You know, it'd be like your exterminator coming over and kill. I killed all the roaches except for two, a male and a female. That's not acceptable. We want them all dead. Somebody might be, oh, well, it's a living creature. It's a roach. There's more. If you need more, you can go get some. So, in fact, as we found out last week, not only had Saul spared Agag, but later David would have another huge group, like we just saw last week, to battle. So not only was the king spared, but there's a, where did the rest of these Amalekites come from? So Saul left a lot of stuff undone. And so now we see this horrible irony of it all. Saul himself is killed by an Amalekite. And so it really doesn't even end there. Later in history, there's going to be a descendant of Agag who would rise to power in the Persian Empire. 
Anybody know this guy's name? Haman. Haman, arise to power. And what's Haman want to do? He's going to want to kill all the Jews, every single one of them. You can read about that in the book of Esther. So you see what happens. Just leaving something undone way back then takes place now. Just not fully taking a complete stand for something can have dire consequences on us in the present. Warren Wiersbe said, the sin we fail to slay is the one that slays us. The sin we fail to slay is the one that slays us. See, the Bible talks about us putting to death our flesh. In Romans eight thirteen, it says, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the spirit, if you live after the spirit and you kill the deeds of the body, you're going to live. You're going to live. Our ways are not God's ways. That's not what the verse says. It says his ways are not our ways. It's, it's when we try to do things our way where everything gets messed up. And we watched Saul do this. Look at verse 11. It says, therefore, David took hold of his own clothes and he tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. Now, this, this blows my mind. I mean, this, this goes to loving your enemy in such a, an extreme way. It wasn't for show. But yet, here's this guy that's been trying to kill David for such a long time, and yet David mourns his death as if he was mourning the death of one of his own family. Look at verse 12. And they mourned, they being his men. Remember we talked about last week being an example? Uh, being an example. So here, David, when he heard of Saul's death, he mourned. We might excel, expected a celebration, like I said earlier, at the death of his great enemy and rival, but David mourned. Out of pure jealousy, hatred, spite, ungodliness, Saul took away David's family, took away David's home, his career, his security, the best years of David's life. He had spent hiding and running, and Saul was utterly unrepentant until the very, very end. I mean, he didn't, to the end, he didn't repent. He didn't repent at all. Yet David mourned and wept. What an example for us to follow. He fasted when he learned of Saul's death. And this powerfully demonstrates that our hatred and our bitterness and our unforgiveness, well, guess what? Those are chosen. You might think it's a feeling, but you choose to hang on to that stuff. You choose to hang on to it. It's not imposed on us. God doesn't say, okay, here, you're going to go ahead and hate that guy. And No, no, no. It's chosen. It's not imposed on us. And as much as Saul did against David... David chose to become better instead of bitter. David chose to be better instead of bitter, better than Saul. So we see again an example embraced. His men also follow this. These men had their own reasons to hate Saul. Think about it. If they wouldn't have been away, their families would have never been taken captive. Their stuff would have never been burned down. Yeah, they got it all back, but there's still a lot of reasons to be upset. The book of 2 Samuel continues the story of David, the second king of the nation of Israel. From his ascension to the throne, to his battlefield victories, to his sins and failures, God continually describes David as a man after his own heart. This distinction reminds us that though we fail, our God still delights in having us a part of his family. We can bring our sins to him in an attitude of repentance, knowing he offers us grace anew for each morning. We'd love to pray for you and encourage you in your journey of faith. So please give us a call. Let us know how you heard about Come Alive and feel free to ask us any questions you have and we'll do our best to answer. Call us at 281-391-5503. Do you live in or are you visiting the Katy area? If so, we want to meet you. 
Here's Tracy with more information. Calvary Chapel Katy is a great group of Jesus followers who are ready and waiting to welcome you into our family. We'll make sure you find a friendly smile and a listening ear. We genuinely want to get to know you. Come and see us on Sunday at 10 a.m. or find out more about our men's and women's Bible studies. Give us a call with any questions and to get directions. Our phone number is 281-391-5503. See you there. Thanks, Tracy. Tune in again for more from 2 Samuel right here on Come Alive.